the place for Celtics news, the place for Celtics opinion, the place for Celtics talk. It's Cattles on Causeway. And so that was some preseason from the Celtics, and now it's time to talk about real basketball. The 2023-2024 season about to tip off. This is your official Celtics season preview. Cattles on Causeway with you. Don't forget, this Wednesday, following the Knicks game, the opener, we will be having a live post-game podcast right here, Cattles on Causeway, live post-game podcast following Celtics-Knicks on Wednesday night. When the game is over, a couple minutes after, you want to come on over to the YouTube page, check it out, get involved, interact, questions, statements, declarations, feelings, thoughts, whatever you have, Wednesday night. Live post-game podcast with yours truly following Celtics and Knicks. Also, don't forget to like and rate and review this podcast. If you're listening to us on Apple Pods and Spotify, you can do that there. And if you're on YouTube watching this show, then you could, of course, give us that thumbs up, which is very important, very crucial to the operation. Take one second out of your time and give us that thumbs up. means more eyeballs on the product. So give us that thumbs up. Also subscribe. We're trying to build the community here. Nick Cattle Show, Cattle's on Causeway, trying to hit 1,000 subscribers by the end of October. Every subscription matters. I thank you for the support. All right, let's jump in and let's start with some of the pros for this season, things we're looking forward to. First and foremost, the top six. We discussed this before the season uh, over and over and over again during the offseason, during the preseason. We'll be talking about it during the season. The top six. Is ridiculous. This is the best top six in the NBA, and we saw that over the preseason. We, we saw what this team can do when they're truly on a string, when they're truly tunnel-visioned and focused and embracing the challenge on both ends of the floor. This top six is extremely talented. You should be very excited if these guys stay healthy about the ceiling of this group. It is a very, very high ceiling, and I'm not just talking about offensively. When we talk about you know, potential and ceiling, and we talk about talent, a lot of times we get caught in this trap acting as if offense is the only thing that matters. When you think about top players, when you think about Steph Curry, you think immediately about his shooting and what he does, right? Even when you think about Giannis, you think about him bulldozing people in the paint and finishing at the rim. When you think about Nikola Jokic, you think about his ability to pass the basketball, to knock down threes, to work off the post. When you think about Joel Embiid, you get the point. Everybody thinks offense, 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 first and foremost, when you talk about some of the great players in the league. But this team, this Celtics team, is going to be very good on both ends of the floor, and that matters an awful lot to me. I don't know if it matters to you, but it matters to me. You go up and down the top six, every single guy is a capable defender, if not a very good defender. Derek White, Drew Holiday, two very good defenders, top-tier guys on that end of the floor. Jalen Brown has the potential to be a very good defender if he is engaged. Jason Tatum, same thing with him, very good defender when he's fully engaged. Kristaps Porzingis, I think, is a good defender, a good rim protector, and you'll see that play out this year. He's not particularly great against big, strong, physical guys down in the paint, but overall, I would say Porzingis is a good defender. And we know what Big Al brings to the table defensively. 
even at 37, 38 years old, that dude is still doing work on that end of the floor. So when I talk about top six talent, I'm talking about in totality what they do offensively and defensively. This team in the top six is absolutely freaking loaded. We felt that way before we seen them play together here in the preseason. I feel even stronger about that after watching the preseason. Preseason ball movement, balls popping, not every single second but a lot of good ball movement, man movement that you saw. You saw players attacking closeouts. You saw guys posting up, which leads me to my next point about this top six. This top six gives you options, gives you options defensively, but especially gives you options offensively. Their ability on all three levels to score the basketball. Guys with good vision and passing ability. I mean, this really is a well-put-together team. And they fit. They, they just fit, and they're talented. It could be a lot of fun. Let's start with Jason Tatum. You know, I've said in prior podcasts before the season tips off that Tatum, if he takes that next step, that is going to be the biggest difference for this team. If Tatum ends up being a top three MVP guy, then we're talking about that next step, that next level. Now, Tatum, he has had his moments. Let's not get it twisted. We know he's had his moments. I mean, game seven against Philly last year was a moment. He has shown up Milwaukee during that, you know, finals run and what he did in Milwaukee before game seven when out of nowhere, Grant Williams just couldn't miss from three. Don't forget Tatum on the road in Milwaukee, what he did to extend that series to seven games that eventually got you to the NBA finals. So he's had his moments. He's had huge games. He's had very good series. But can he consistently be the best player on the floor night in and night out in the postseason? That's that next step. He has to be that guy. And I think we saw during the preseason, we have, we have seen that Tatum, he's worked on things. And he looks like he is more ready than ever to take that responsibility to be that kind of guy to lead this team to Banner 18. He's put on additional muscle. He's posting up again. Again, it's the preseason, and hopefully this carries through. But we've seen him play bully ball in the preseason. We've seen him posting mismatches. That's precisely what he needs to do. Not be so reliant on the three ball. If he doesn't have it going from the outside, adjust your game, get in the paint, and do work there. You are a big guy, you are a strong guy, and you are more than capable of finishing around the rim. More post-ups from Tatum will be great. And when he's shooting threes, we've mentioned, make sure he's knocking down those pull-up threes. Defensively, I think you've seen a very, very invested Jason Tatum on the defensive end in the preseason, which I think is a fantastic sign. If Tatum is that invested defensively in the preseason, I would have to imagine he's going to be invested during the regular season. And that is awesome to see from your best player. Hopefully that continues as we start to play games that count on Wednesday in New York against the Knicks. Kristaps Porzingis is the second guy I want to talk about here as far as the pros. He's a legit number three option. He's somebody that can beat you from the inside with the post game. We've seen that. People that think that he's not a post player, they haven't watched Kristaps the last couple of years. And I mentioned this during the podcast that we had all about Porzingis going back a week or two ago. 
his post play, his efficiency in the post offensively has grown exponentially over the last couple of years. He is a different guy now than he was three years ago. He's talked about it. He has showed it. He can play in the post. He can produce in the post. That inside-outside game, seven foot four, unlimited range. We've seen him from 30 feet, sometimes even close to 35 feet. Effortless stroke from three-point land. The inside-outside game offensively for him is terrific. He has good vision. He can pass the basketball. If you think you're going to double him in the post and he's not going to make you hurt for that, then you are mistaken. He is going to make that hurt. He will make the extra pass. And with Kristaps being that legitimate third option, a lot less on the plate for Tatum and Brown. Just in case Tatum and or Brown take a slight step back in a game, you can depend on Porzingis to step up and give you that offense that you need. How many times did we see defense, uh, defenses defend against Tatum and Brown and double them and shade them and, and, and just put traffic around them, limit their space, and they couldn't do anything? Well, now the idea is that Porzingis will create that additional space. Porzingis will give them that safety valve. And if you're having one of those stretches of funkiness on the offense that we've seen over the past few years, it won't be as funky with KP out there. Got to stay healthy. We all know that. But Kristaps Porzingis, I think, is a perfect fit alongside Tatum and Brown. I've said it since the trade happened. I believe that since day one. Drew Holiday, the other addition. He's next. Going to call him the settler. And usually when you call somebody a settler, people will think that they're settling for jump shots, settling for this, settling for that. What I mean by Drew Holiday being the settler he settles the rest of the team. Marcus Smart, I loved Marcus Smart. Loved Marcus Smart. Loved him at Oklahoma State. Watched him in college. He was one of my favorite players coming out in the draft that year. I was psyched when the Celtics picked him. Big Marcus Smart fan. But let's be honest about it. Marcus had some weaknesses. Marcus was a loud voice in the room. Marcus had a, a pretty big ego compared to his actual skill level. At times, Marcus came across as the number one guy, and he should have been the number four guy on this team. And so when you replace Marcus with Holiday, you have somebody who's not going to necessarily crank up the heat with his teammates. Now, he's going to challenge them, but I believe he's going to challenge them differently than Marcus Smart challenged them. Marcus is a fiery guy. And Marcus is confrontational. He's up in your face. And that'll work only for so long. Holiday can kill you with kindness, but he can get his message across. And so Holiday, the cool, calm, collected demeanor, I think is exactly what this team needed from that position on the floor. And I think Holiday, with his actions and his words, will have the ability to settle everybody down. You're having a funky stretch for a minute, 90 seconds in a postseason game. Holiday will settle it down. He'll calm everybody down. He'll make a defensive play. He'll make an offensive play. He'll make a quote-unquote winning play like we used to talk about with Marcus Smart. He will make those kinds of plays. He will settle things on both ends with a play. The emotions and the ego, that stuff is a thing of the past from that position. And he's also more than capable of knocking down an open shot when you need him to knock a shot down. So Holiday, to me, is the settler of this group. Jalen Brown, 
is somewhat of the wild card. And I say that because there's no denying that Jalen Brown's a top 25 player in the league. There's just no denying it. The guy is super talented. But Brown, we've seen some stretches here. We'll get into this a little bit later. We've seen some stretches in the preseason where Brown's not getting touches. Tatum's always getting touches because you're running offense through him. If Brown is your number two option, which he is, you have to make sure you're feeding him. So Jalen Brown getting touches. The question is, will Brown continue to improve with those touches? Jalen Brown, every year of his NBA career, has gotten better. Every year. Will that continue? He's turning 27 on Tuesday. Happy birthday to Jalen. But when has he reached his ceiling? You know, Brown's been that kind of guy where you watch him, you go, all right, well, he, he can't get much better. That That's his ceiling, right? The next year he comes back, he's a little bit better. All right, well, that's his ceiling. Next season, he's a little bit better on and on and on through seven years or so of just watching this young man develop. Does he have the next stage of development? Or what we saw in the postseason last year, is that his ceiling? Is he ever going to be able to consistently dribble and drive with that left hand? Or it is what it is. That's who he is as a basketball player. Will the beat go on? Will Jalen continue to improve? Because if Jalen improves even slightly from last year, Man, oh man, is this team just ridiculous. The top two is unfathomable. So will Jalen Brown continue to improve the way he has throughout his Celtics career? Finally, I think we've seen some growth from Joe Mazzula. He's looking for curveballs, the 2-2-1 press, some of the zone in the summer league, some things they're doing offensively. His comfort level is obvious. And I think that does matter, his comfort level with the media and how he handles certain things. The fact that he looks comfortable, that matters to me because it tells me he's comfortable as an old skin and he's got his own voice. He has his own voice and he feels like this is his team now. And that's a positive step. We'll see. The jury's still somewhat out on Joe. I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's going to win coach of the year. The jury is still out. You know, will he change? Will the timeout thing change? Will some of his usage change, the rotations and all of that? What will happen? We'll see. But I like what I've seen so far from him, off the floor and on the floor. So Joe Mazzula, if he has that growth, that's another reason this team should be pretty damn good. All right, before we get to some of the cons, and we're going to be nitpicking, let's be honest. It's going to be nitpicking. But before we get to that, don't forget, to rate and review if you're listening to Spotify or Apple Pods. And if you're watching and listening on YouTube, give me that thumbs up. It takes a second of your time. Just one second for that thumbs up. It means an awful lot to this uh, operation that I'm running here, a one-man band. And subscribe. We're trying to jump those subscriptions up as well on the YouTube page. All right, some, some cons. Again, we're nitpicking. This team, if healthy, should be expected to win a bunch of games this year should absolutely be there at the end of the season, at least in the final four, if not in the final two. So we're nitpicking, and I have to acknowledge that. Let's appreciate the nitpicking. But let's get back to Jalen Brown. I just mentioned those stretches when Brown doesn't necessarily have the basketball in his hands. How is he going to handle that? How is he going to handle not getting consistent touches during certain games? Now, some will say, oh, man, he looked great in Charlotte, and he shot well in Charlotte. But I would also say those weren't necessarily great shots that he took. It's fantastic that he made them. 
And we know that Brown in the first quarter is a thing. First quarter Jalen Brown is an absolute thing. We've seen it now for the last couple of years. But I wouldn't watch that Hornets game and say they've got it all figured out. I wouldn't go far with that just yet. Now, is it a big problem? Again, we're nitpicking. And I think Jalen will find a way and the team will find a way and the offense will find a way. But when a guy is a number two option and he just signed the most lucrative contract in NBA history, he's going to want his touches. And he's the second guy on this team. He's going to want second guy touches. And if you go four or five minutes without him getting a legit chance to do something offensively, then you start getting concerned about how that impacts his defense and how it impacts his decision-making. So these are nitpicks, but let's just make sure that Jalen touches the basketball. Do not go two, three minutes without him touching the ball because that could create some issues on both ends. So let's mark that down. Keep an eye on it. I don't think it's a huge issue. None of these are huge issues, but we have to talk about it. Another one, the third big. Now, uh, Nemeus Keita, I have experience watching Keita. I worked for over a year and a half in Sacramento. I watched Keita play lots of basketball in the summer league, in the preseason, some in the regular season. And I would just tell people to be a little bit cautious when watching Keita. Have some cautious optimism, but there should be some hesitancy, and I'll tell you why. Kada has always looked good in the summer league and in the preseason. He's comfortable. He's active. He looks like a very confident individual. Kada has consistently looked like that guy in the summer league and in the preseason. But when the lights turn on, Kada, unfortunately for him, and he works his ass off, there's no doubt about that, but Kada, unfortunately for him, when the lights turn on and the games count, he looks like a different guy. That's been his history. Now, has he developed into something different? I'll leave the door open. I never want to limit somebody's potential. He certainly could have learned from his time in Sacramento. And now when the lights turn on, if he's given that opportunity for the third big man minutes, which I think he should because he outplayed Luke Cornett. I've never been a, a Cornett guy. Never been a Cornett guy and Kata outplayed him. So the only reason that Cornette would get those third big man minutes is because Joe Missoula is sticking by his guy. I would not mind seeing Kata at least get some run early in the season to see if things have changed. But I'm just letting you know, when the lights are on, he looks lost, disheveled at times, especially defensively, and he looks like somebody who is lacking confidence. Hopefully that has changed. Hopefully preseason Kata will show up in regular season. But that has not been the resume. So if Kata is not the guy, if Kata does revert back to Kings Kata, then I think you need to go out and find a third big man. You don't have to do it immediately, but you have to find somebody. Cornette is not a good enough defensive rebounder. He's not good enough consistently on the defensive end. He gives you limited offense. I just, uh, he slows the pace down. I, I just, I'm, I'm not, again, I don't, I don't want to kill him. But I think he's more of like a, an 11th, 12th guy on a team versus somebody who you could rely on if Al Horford goes down, if Porzingis goes down. You're resting out on these back-to-backs. I don't feel like Cornette is that guy. And if Kate is not that guy, you better find that guy. All right, the backup wings. Again, this is nitpicking. A lot of these guys can't shoot from what we've seen. 
from what we've seen this preseason, what we saw last year, the O'Shea Brissettes, the Lamar Stevenses, those guys can't shoot from distance. Stevens, couple of nice moves against Charlotte. He had that fantastic dunk, hit a midi. But when you're asking him to, to shoot from three, eh, not great. Brissett, same thing. Brissett, energy guy, is able to you know rebound and attack the bucket and all of that, but not a very good shooter. So I don't know how many minutes those guys are going to play if they can't knock down a three from time to time. Now, you'll stagger minutes with your top six, obviously, and you're not going to ask Brissett for offense, but you need to keep the defense honest or you're going to be playing five on four or five on three. So will they be able to knock enough shots down to get minutes? That's my biggest question with Brissett, my biggest question with Stevens. Uh, Banton, not, not as big of a question. Cause I just don't know how many minutes he's going to play. I mean, with holiday white and Pritchard, I don't know how much Banton's going to play. I don't anticipate seeing him a lot. Maybe Joe Missoula will surprise me, but some of those guys on the bench, their inability to make shots from distance consistently, I think limits their minutes. If not keeps them stapled to the bench. Now, Sam Hauser is going to have to play well on both ends. Pritchard has been fantastic in the preseason. That's been great to see. He's a pro, no doubt about it. Pros and cons, Pritchard's a pro. So right now I feel like you're eight deep with Horford, Pritchard, and Hauser off the bench. Good start of the season. Again, these are nitpicks. Third big guy maybe as your ninth guy. Maybe somebody else you could find to throw into the mix. But the the wing options... To me, it's Hauser or Bust right now if you want the guy to be able to provide you at least some offense, the thought of offense. I also wonder, will this team commit to offensive versatility? We've seen that they have the ability to provide offensive versatility, but will they commit to that? Or, or will they stray away from it, stray away from the low post, stray away from the mid-range, and start falling in love with threes? and start taking bad threes? Are they going to stop the straight-line drives trying to get to the free-throw line? Coach Missoula has pounded that before this year has begun, saying, look, we need more free-throws, we need more post-ups, and I, I hope the team follows his direction because they absolutely need that. If it's just chuck and duck, chuck and duck, chuck and duck, you can't always rely on the three. If the threes aren't falling, you could be taking good shots. If they're not falling, what's plan B? What's plan C? And Missoula has brought up curveballs an awful lot during the preseason as well in camp time. And that's the curveball. If you're not making threes, can you throw it into the post for a couple of possessions and get buckets? Can you get a straight line drive off of ball movement, man movement, and get a couple of free throws? These are the kinds of things that they need to stay committed to. Again, it's all nitpicking, but those are some of the things that we have to Keep an eye on as we get ready for this season and the opener against the Knicks. Rate, review, like, comment, and subscribe. All right, let's run down the Eastern Conference quickly, and then I'll give you my prediction uh, for the Celtics, the over and under what I have. It's a down year in the East. This conference is not very good. It really feels like it's a two-horse race. It feels like it's the Bucks, the Celtics right now, again, if healthy. Things can change. Trades can happen. It's the NBA. But right now, it really feels like this is a two-team race to see who ends up with the one seed and, and host the Eastern Conference Finals. Milwaukee, most legit threat to the Celtics. They do have questions. Their perimeter defense with Dame Dalla is a question. Their age, 
you know, Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton, Jay Crowder. They have a lot of guys that are, you know, in their mid-30s that they're going to depend on. Uh, will that backfire? We'll see. And a first-time head coach, Adrian Griffin. That that weird story with Terry Stotts, who was supposed to be an assistant coach, then he left. There was some kind of disagreement between he and Griffin at a practice, and then Stotts left. Adrian Griffin, let's see. You never know how a guy is going to be as the head coach. A lot of people love Griffin within the game. He might end up being spectacular. He might fall on his face. We have no idea. Of course, coaches, they don't have as much of an impact in the NBA as other sports. We know that. Again, it's more of a talent superstar game than a coach game. But you make a few mistakes. That could be the difference between Milwaukee moving on to the finals and Milwaukee losing in the second round or the Eastern Conference finals. It only takes a few mistakes. So Adrian Griffin's a question mark until he proves it. Philadelphia, you get the James Harden soap opera. Uh, how is Embiid going to feel in January? And I mean his feelings. You know, do you trade Harden? If you trade Harden, what do you get back? If you don't trade Harden, what drama is happening? How does that all come together? It, it, does Embiid get frustrated and start voicing those frustrations in the middle of the season? Do we start getting these reports and these headlines about Embiid asking out of Philadelphia? That's going to be a big question. And Nick Nurse, new coach. Let's see how it all works there. But Philadelphia, I think you have to believe they'll take a slight step back from what they were a year ago. Miami. On paper, Miami is not as good as they were last year. They lost to Max Struess. They lost Gabe Vincent. They're going to rely an awful lot on Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. Once again, Kyle Lowry is washed. Tyler Hero, good offensive player, terrible defensively. But it's the Miami Heat. And it's Eric Spolstra. I just mentioned about the limited impact that coaches can have in the NBA. Spolstra is like the anomaly. He, he's the guy that actually gets his teams to play much better and makes them very dangerous, as we saw just this past season. So this could be a, another Miami Heat season when they're kind of meh during the regular season. Get to the playoffs. Spolstra figures some things out. They pick up some guys from buyouts because guys want to play in Miami. All of a sudden, the Miami Heat are a legitimate threat in the East as you get to the postseason to at least scare one of the top two teams. So I would not write off Miami with Eric Spolstra. The New York Knicks, Jalen Brunson's legit, had a great year last year, had a very good playoff. R.J. Barrett, he's talking about his offense and how many shots he gets. I wonder where his head is at. This is a team that's still gunning for that star. Julius Randle is good. He's not very good defensively, but he's good. Uh, it, it just smells like a 45-win team to me, the New York Knicks. I don't see them getting to the 50-win you know, point or, or, or really truly being a top two or three team in the East. I see them probably around 45-ish wins, a Tom Thibodeau team. They're going to defend as much as they can. They're going to you know, try to be super physical with you. But I, I think their ceiling is limited until they find that guy who can be the true ultra star. Brunson is more of a two. Randall's more of a two. Barrett's more of a three. Can they find the guy and acquire that guy that they've been trying to find for the last several years? The Cavaliers. The Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, you know, match in the backcourt's a little weird. They're very similar players. Uh, Evan Mobley, is he being limited because Jared Allen and you're playing two bigs and has that become a little bit clunky? Uh, there are some questions. This team, though, they're talented. They could certainly win 50 games. They added Struess in the offseason, so they've got some shooting. I believe they added Yang, too. 
Um, but the, the big thing about Cleveland is how much noise is going to be created from the Donovan Mitchell situation. A lot of people in the game will tell you that Mitchell is not long for Cleveland. And I was watching Bill Simmons the other night and Bill Simmons said that, you know, it's, it's pretty much one of the worst kept secrets in the NBA that Mitchell doesn't want to be in Cleveland. And it's only a matter of time before he leaves that organization. So will that impact things? We'll have to wait and see. And then you got some interesting teams, Toronto. What are they going to do? A team that can't shoot, that's athletic, that's long, that's big, but again, they can't shoot. Fred Van Vliet is no longer there. He went to Houston. So what to make of Toronto? What to make of Brooklyn? They got a number of wings. I like Mikael Bridges, but Bridges to me is more of a two than, than a number one. So what is that team going to look like? That team feels like a, a 38 to 40 win team. Orlando is an interesting team. They have a ton of size and a ton of skill. Paolo Bancaro is legit. Franz Wagner is legit, but they're still very young. You know, can, can they can they hit the 40 wins? Can they get to, you know, 500 and finish 41 and 41? Or, or will they still show that they're too young and, and hover around 30 to 35 wins? But Orlando's an interesting team. Indiana, Indiana, almost said Indianapolis. Indiana is an interesting team. You know, they got Halliburton, who's a tremendous young player, got his big fat extension. Buddy Heald wants out. Will he be traded? If he is, what will he bring back? Indiana is a very, very interesting team with Miles Turner and, you know, Tyrese and, and his ability. And Matherin is on that team as well, had a really good rookie season. So Indiana is a sneaky team and, and they could get to the low 40s to mid 40s and win. So those are some of the other teams to me. On the outside, looking in, the Indianas, the Orlandos, the Brooklyns, and the Torontos. But it's really a two-team race in the East as long as they stay healthy. It's Milwaukee and it's Boston. And I will tell you that I would go with the over with the Celtics. The, the over-under number on wins is 55.5. I would actually go over the 55.5. I think this team, it's top six, is absolutely freaking loaded. And if they stay healthy, they are the most talented team in the NBA. Well, there it is, your season preview 2023-2024 season. Don't forget that on Wednesday following the Knicks game, the opener will have a live post-game podcast right here on Catazon Causeway. Until then, everybody get ready for this season. If they're healthy, it should be a lot of fun, and I can't wait for Wednesday night to watch this team play at MSG. It's Catazon Causeway. Everybody be well.